0: We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. If you are new or uh visiting us, we welcome you. So glad that you are here and we have been studying through the book of Acts for almost a year and a half now, it began in September of 2022, and that's really, we believe, the best way to learn and grow is by going through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that's what we have been doing, and uh, we have about 10 weeks left in this study. It's going to take us right up to around Easter time, and... Uh, We are going to be picking up today with Paul. We left off right before Christmas with Paul arriving in Troas, and that's where we're going to pick it up. So if you would, Acts chapter 20, find verse 7 and follow along as I read. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until when? When? Midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. And he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Let's pray together. Father, we... Love you. And just as the rain from last night has made everything clean and the bright sun shining after the rain, God, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts of refreshing, exposing, that you, Lord, would do what only you can do. And Lord, we thank you that in Jesus, we have all that we need for life and godliness. And so we give you this time in the word now in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. I want to remind you right now that you are in church. So you need to be Honest when you are in church. And so I have a question for everybody here today that you need to be honest with. You. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in church before? Show of hands, if that has ever happened. Now, that wasn't here and it wasn't when I was preaching, right? <laughs> you know, when I pastored in Oregon, the keyboard player in our worship team, every time after worship, he would go and sit in the second row. And he'd sit there next to his wife and he would sit down and he would put his arm around her and she would just kind of nuzzle into, you know, his arm and put her head right here and then she would lean her head back and she would close her eyes and she would keep him that way for the entire service. Now, I don't know if she was sleeping or not, but it used to just drive me crazy, you know? I mean, she's in the second row. In fact, at times I wanted to just yell, Carol, it's time to wake up, you know? And it just drove me crazy. Um, In fact, it reminded me of a story of a, a guy who used to go to sleep in church every single week. Every week he would just settle in right after the music and just, you know, fall asleep. And somehow he had trained his mind that when he heard the pastor say let's stand he would wake up so on this particular Sunday the pastor was teaching about apathy and he said now if you're here today and you are so apathetic that you don't care what God thinks and you have, you know, you're, you're not concerned at all that you might spend eternity in hell. I dare you right now to stand and acknowledge that. And this guy just woke up and shot up, you know. And then he looked around and realized that only he and the pastor were the ones standing. And he said, Pastor, I don't know what it is we're voting on, but it seems like you and I are the only ones for it, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, if you've ever fallen asleep in church during a Bible study or during a prayer meeting, you are not alone. In fact, the the apostles of Jesus even fell asleep during a prayer meeting there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in our text today, we see a young man by the name of Eutychus Eutychus, who fell asleep during a Bible study by the great apostle Paul. In fact, our text gives us some insights into how this might have even happened. First of all, we see that Paul got long-winded kind of an occupational hazard of a pastor. And we're not sure when this message started, but but Paul was going strong, our text says, until midnight. So it's safe to say that Paul had been preaching for hours that he had been going on all night long. Now, I just got to pause and say, on average on a Sunday morning here, I preach for 40 to 45 minutes, okay? So I don't want to see any of you checking your watches anymore, all right? Paul was like going till midnight at his message, but but uh, so that's the first thing. Paul got long-winded. The second thing to note is that the Bible study was taking place on the third floor of the building, And in the Middle East, it's really, really hot, and we know that heat rises. And so the room was hot and probably stuffy. It's full of people. I mean, it's so crowded, Eutychus is having to sit in the window. And I got to tell you, that's the worst setting to preach in, a hot, stuffy room. I would rather it be really, really cold than really, really warm, because it gets really, really warm, people get sleepy so Eutychus after probably working a long day he's you know nodding off he's getting sleepy there in the windowsill not only that it was heated our text says by these lamps and these would have been oil lamps and so not only is it hot and stuffy but the room is dimly lit So it's the perfect scenario for this young guy to get sleepy. And so Eutychus is sitting there listening to Paul go on and on and on. He starts to nod off, and he falls out the window to his death. And from this point on in church history whenever the name Eutychus comes up, it's like, oh yeah, that was that guy that fell asleep during the Bible study of the Apostle Paul and fell out the window and died, you know? How would you like to have that legacy attached to your name, you know? That was this particular guy. But his story does have a happy ending. In fact, let's look at it in verse 10. It says, but Paul went down. So Paul runs down the stairs and fell on him and embracing him and said, do not trouble yourselves for his life.'" Life is in him. And so what happens here, Eutychus was dead, and God brought him back to life. That's the happy ending here. Now, what what happens next, though, just cracks me up. Look at verse 11. Now, when he had come up, he had broken the bread and eaten, so they have communion like we're going to have today, and talked a long while even until daybreak. Paul's like, you know, okay, let's get, let's continue with our study. And he just keeps teaching, you know, probably another five or six hours until the morning. Verse 12 says, and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. That means that they were greatly relieved. Understandably so. You know, it's one thing to fall asleep in church. And truth be told, that has probably happened to many of us. And to fall asleep in church is not a sin, but to be asleep in the light is a completely different matter. And that's what I want us to consider today how some people can be asleep in the light, that they can be surrounded by the light of Jesus and be completely asleep, spiritually speaking. How does that happen? I want to give you four reasons if you're taking notes and how we can avoid that and how we can change that if that has happened to us. So why are some people asleep in the light? Number one, some people are asleep because they've never been awake truly. They've never truly been awake. I remember that was a familiar state in my own life. There was a time when I was Uh, A young kid, and my mom was taking me to this little Baptist church in in Garden Grove, and I got to tell you, I hated it. I just thought it was so incredibly boring. I was there, I was present, others were worshiping, but I was on the outside because I wasn't alive to spiritual things. And a lot of people are like that today. A lot of people can go to church, it's their habit, maybe it's their duty, maybe it's their weekly routine, maybe they come because a husband or a wife or a parent or a friend has just keeps begging them to come, and so they show up, and they somehow think that God is going to be blessed by the fact that they are in church And that they, you know, sat through an hour long service, but it's boring to them. And they're not really interested. And there's a reason for that. Now, sometimes it is boring preachers. And I mean, that's sad to say that that does happen, but there's a spiritual reason why this happens to a lot of people. And we're told this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 it says, "But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned." Here's what this is telling us. The Bible is a spiritual book, and you have to be spiritually alive to understand it. How do you become spiritually alive? It's when you hear the gospel. You hear that Jesus left heaven and came to this earth for the purpose of dying on a cross to pay the price for your sins. And then he rose again from the dead on the third day to give life to anyone who would believe in him and put their faith in him. As Paul said, if we confess with our mouth to the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's, that's when you become spiritually alive. It happens when you realize that you are a sinner and you need a savior, and so you put your faith in Jesus, and that's what the Bible refers to as being born again, that you go from being a natural man, which is someone who has only been born physically, to someone who becomes a spiritual man or woman, which means they've been born again now spiritually. The Spirit of God, when you are born again, comes to live inside of you, and this is what happened. He takes your spirit, which has been dead, it's been separated from God, it doesn't have a relationship with God, and he comes in your heart, and he begins that relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit begins to stimulate your heart, and stimulate your spirit, and he begins to teach you, and he begins to stir you, and he begins to bring life into you. And you begin to understand the Bible, and there's a conviction, and there's encouragement. And that's what it means to be spiritually alive. So let me just say this this morning. If, you, if the Bible and the things of the Lord are boring to you, it could be a good implication that you've never been born again. It could be a good implication that you aren't spiritually alive. You know, it was C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters who said this, The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle so- slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. So if you are thinking, hey, I'm okay because I go to church and I'm okay because I'm a good person, God's going to accept me. Listen, the devil would love for you to believe that deception and when you die, he will gladly welcome you into hell. That's what happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. And if that's the place that you are in today, where you know that that you're realizing you're not alive to the things of the Spirit, that can change for you today as you embrace Jesus, as you open up your heart to Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that before we are done today. So some people are asleep in the light because they have never been awake. And they need to wake up. For some of you, maybe that will happen today. The second reason why some people are asleep in the light is because they lack spiritual exercise. You know, if you just physically eat and eat and eat and never exercise, you're going to be unhealthy. You're going to become lethargic. You know, it's, it's kind of like Thanksgiving day, right? You eat and you eat some more and then you're full, but somebody says, okay, it's time for dessert. And so you eat some more and then you're like comatose, right? You go sit in the chair. You sit on the couch. That's what happens to a lot of people. They just eat and eat and eat. And, and even, you know, on Thanksgiving or time, even going out for a walk is, is helpful. But if all you ever did was eat and lay on the couch and, and, and go to bed at night, you're going to be lacking life. Well, same thing is true spiritually. We need to not just eat, take in the word of God, but we need to exercise our faith. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, train yourself in godliness. In the New King James Version, it's exercise yourself unto godliness. And then he says this, for training of the body has limited benefit. It has some, but it's limited. But you know what has lasting benefit, eternal benefit, he says, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come we need to exercise our faith you know in israel there are two bodies of water that are both fed by the jordan river there's the sea of galilee and the dead sea now the sea of galilee is full of life there's fish in it there's other living creatures in it But the Dead Sea is completely the opposite. Not even a single cell being can survive in the Dead Sea. Why? Because although the Jordan River flows into both, it only flows out of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has both an intake and an outflow. The Dead Sea, though, only has an intake. It has no outflow, and so nothing lives in it. Guys, we need to be like the Sea of Galilee, where we take in the life and love of God, where we're taking in the word of God, and then that love and life of God is flowing out of us to others. If we are only like the Dead Sea, where we are just taking in but never giving out, we're going to lack spiritual life follow through and exercising our faith is essential for spiritual health you know there was a highway patrolman who one day pulled over a car full of nuns that were driving down the freeway but they were driving really slow. They were driving 22 miles an hour, and the speed limit was 70 miles an hour. And he pulled them over because he thought this is dangerous. Why are they driving so slow? So he came up to the driver's side, and he was talking to the older sister who was driving. He said, "Sister, is everything okay? Why are you driving so slow?" And she says, "I didn't realize I was driving slow. I saw the sign back there that said 22, and, and I thought that was the speed limit." And he said, "No, no, no. That's the highway." sign. You're on highway 22. The speed limit is 70 miles an hour. And she chuckled and, you know, was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I need to pay closer attention. And right before the, the officer was going to leave, he looks in the back and there's three nuns sitting in the back and they're as white as ghosts and they're kind of trembling. And he says, hey, are you, are you ladies? Are you sisters okay? And, and they said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing better now. We just got off of highway 125. <laughs> Follow through and paying attention to the traffic signs is important for not getting a ticket and being safe when you're driving on the road. And so, too, follow through as it relates to taking in and giving out the word of God is essential for our spiritual health. You know, in, in Ezra chapter 7, we're told three things about this man, Ezra. We're told three times, I should say, about this man, Ezra, this this saying that the good hand of the Lord was upon his life. That means that he was blessed. That God's hand was upon him, and I think that the blessing that was upon Ezra's life was directly connected to two things. First of all, it was a, his approach to the word of God, and secondly, it was his follow-through concerning the word of God. And I say that because in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, this is what we're told about Ezra. It says, "'For Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord,' And to do it and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. Note that. He prepared his heart to seek God in the Word. That was his approach. In other words, he didn't just approach the Word casually or randomly or just kind of spontaneously whenever he felt like it, but he was serious about it. He prepared his heart to spend time with Jesus, and he prepared his heart not just to seek the Lord in the word, but to do it, to put it into practice, to follow through. And so listen to me, friends, the best way to stay awake, the best way to be full of life is to give out spiritually. And a great way to do that is to share with others what you are learning. Parents, you need to share with your kids the things that God is teaching you. In fact, one of the best things you can do, the best conversations that you can have after church today or any time that you are in church on the way home is, hey, kids, what would you learn today at church? And if they didn't learn anything and that's a, a, a common thing that happens, come talk to me, all right? because uh, But our children's ministry is amazing. They do an incredible job. You need to ask me, hey, what are you learning? And then you can share with them what you're learning, what God is teaching you. Parents, we need to share what what God is speaking to us in the morning in our time of devotion when we spend time with the Lord. The best way to grow is to give out. Students need to share with their friends at school. Posting, you know, I encourage. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we just saturated Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all those things with, with the Bible? I mean, that would just be incredible. It's a great way to give out the things that God is speaking to us. Share with your coworkers. Tell them tomorrow, hey, I learned something really cool at church yesterday, or I read something really amazing in the Bible this morning. Can I share it with you? You might be surprised. They might be shocked, like, really, you got something out of the Bible? I, the Bible's boring to me. And you can share with them what God is speaking to your heart. You might be I, I, so surprised that they're interested And I think we need to talk to unbelievers like they're interested, because we might just discover that they are. You know, a lot of people that don't know Jesus today, they're so full of hopelessness and despair because of all the crazy going on in our world. And when they hear us talking about the hope that we have in Jesus, it might just you might just find like they're interested because they're looking for something. You know, great glory used to say, probably still does. If we don't evangelize, we'll fossilize. And you know what? That's true. That's true. And you know, every single year in January, for probably 27 years, every single year in January, I challenge us as a church to start praying for one person that we know that doesn't know Jesus. At least one person one person that we want to share Jesus with and some of you do that some of you take that challenge and you begin to pray and you start to look for those opportunities to share with that person that God has just burdened your heart for and isn't it interesting you know how when we share our faith with others how it stimulates us you know, haven't you found when you're talking to somebody about the Lord that doesn't know the Lord and your heart starts pounding, you know, and you're getting kind of excited and, and kind of nervous at the same time, like, I hope I say the right thing. And then if they end up giving their life to Jesus, it's exhilarating, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing when they respond. Some of you experience that. Some of you take up that challenge. Every year when I put that, you begin to pray for that one person you know, in your life, for that one person that you work with. But some of you just let that challenge go in one ear and out the other. And I wonder if this year, is it going to be any different? Is this year going to be different? I want to encourage us to pray in that way that we might share Jesus with someone and get a chance to lead somebody to Jesus this year in 2024. You see, in order to stay awake spiritually, we need to exercise our faith. And one of the best ways to do that is to share it with others. You know, years ago, there's a pastor in Florida named D. James Kennedy who came up with an evangelism program called, um, Evangelism Explosion. And it centered around asking people these two questions. I've used this before. The first question is this. If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? It's a great question. Second question is, if God asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Those two questions have been effective in leading tens of thousands of people all over the world to faith in Jesus Christ. I love to use that one when it's a kind of a short setting. Maybe I'm on an airplane or maybe I'm in, in a uh, on a bus somewhere or I'm in a setting where I know I might not ever see this person again. I love to ask those two questions. If I'm somewhere where, you know, it's somebody I'm, I have a relationship with, somebody that I'm kind of building a relationship with, I love to ask this question. I'll ask them, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And it's interesting. This is one of the things I've learned about most people. Most people love to talk about themselves. Have, have you noticed that? You know? So I ask that question and be like, well, as a matter of fact, I do, you know? And so they'll start, you know, talking to me about what their spiritual beliefs are. And I just listen and I nod and I smile and I just let them talk. But you know what happens a lot of the time? When they get done, they'll say, what about you? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? And there's the open door. There's the open door to say, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And here's why. I believe in this because I believe in the Bible, and I believe there's an empty tomb in Israel because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Jesus, that's the crux, guys, for us. Everything hinges on the, on the resurrection. I also love to ask people this question. I'll say, hey, I just got a you know, curiosity. Do you believe in God? And if they say, well, yes, I do, then I'll, I'll ask them. I'll say, well, What do you think God is like? And I let them talk and share. Now, sometimes they'll say, no, I don't believe in God. And then I'll ask them this. I'll say, well, let's just say you did. What do you think God is like? What do you think he would be like? And, you know, they'll go off and start talking about their idea of God. And then I'll just ask, I'll say, hey, do you mind if I take a few minutes and share with you what what the Bible says about what God is like? And I tell you what, I've never had anybody say no. I don't want to hear that. They're like, oh yeah, okay, sure. And I always start with John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I say, so I want you to know, first of all, say, you know, it says that God's a loving God, and he's so loving that he sent his son. He gave his son. Why did he have to give his son? Well, and that's, there's the opportunity to go into the whole sin issue and that's why Jesus had to came or had to come and then I'll say and, and notice he says and whoever would just believe in him would have everlasting life and then I'll ask this question I'll say but, but what does it say about those who don't believe and there's a great open door whatever it is however it is we it, it's so exciting when we can share what Jesus has done in our lives with others we can share that he's the way the truth and the life that no one comes to the father but by him so you want to stay awake spiritually exercise your faith live it and share it put it into practice here's a third reason why some people are asleep in the light is because of sin and compromise You know, some people have experienced the awakening of Jesus. They're truly Christians, but they have slipped into a spiritual comatose state. And and sometimes, you know, we'll hear about somebody in the church who all of a sudden has fallen into unimaginable depths, And although they regularly attend church, like we we, we see them all the time, and all of a sudden we hear that they have just, you know, went off the deep end, and we're blown away. We're so surprised and grieved by what happened. Here's what I know. That didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. Sad to say, in my 40 years of of being uh, in, in ministry, I have seen this happen over and over and over again. I've never ever known anyone who just one day was walking with Jesus and the next day said, "You know what? I think I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to ruin my kids' lives." And that never happens like that. It's happened, but it never happens just one day on fire for Jesus and the next day pursuing the world. No, what happens is it happens gradually through little acts of compromise. That's where it starts. And little compromises eventually lead to bigger compromises. And when we begin, when we allow little compromises to happen in our life, we can become desensitized. And things that one time that, that we had great conviction are where I would never, ever do that, suddenly, you know, we find ourselves doing those things. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever known someone who just can sleep through alarms you know anybody like that they just sleep through i knew this one guy he'd set like four or five alarms and he would just sleep through all of them and and somehow they just have learned to ignore that alarm well you know what the holy spirit in our hearts is like an alarm he convicts us When we are being tempted to get into sin or to compromise, he convicts us and it's like an alarm going off in our hearts, but the more that we ignore that conviction, you know what happens? The fainter and fainter it gets. And we get desensitized to the point where we don't feel that conviction anymore we don't hear that alarm going off in our heart anymore. It's, it's kind of like that analogy of the frog in the kettle. You've heard of that. You know, if you take a, a frog and you put him into a little pot of boiling water, he'll immediately jump out. But if you take that frog and you set him in a room temperature pot of boiling water, and then you just slowly begin to turn up the heat, he'll stay there. It's like a jacuzzi. you know. He'll stay there until it fries him to death. He'll just stay in that place. That's how sin and compromise is. You stay in it long enough. You get comfortable enough in it. And pretty soon you are so far away from the Lord and deeper into sin than you ever could imagine. And unfortunately, it usually takes some great tragedy to wake somebody up out of that type of state where they are asleep in church but asleep in the light you know in my devotions this morning i was reading in my the old testament reading in proverbs 7 and it was all about the seductress and how you know it's a great picture of the world how the world seeks to entice us and lure us in with flattery and and enticements and and this type of thing but in the end. The goal, it says, is, is self-destruction. To reduce a man to being like a crust of bread, where all the substance is gone, and all the only that is left is is the is the crust. And that's what Jesus said about the devil. The, the devil is a thief and a robber who comes to kill and rob and destroy. But he doesn't, you know, show up at your house and say, here, I'm the devil and I want to kill, rob, and destroy you. No, he shows up with all these enticements of what your life could be if you just did this. As I was reading that, I, in my New Testament reading this morning, I read in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, and then yoke yourself to me. and Learn of me. Yoking speaks of a continual abiding with him. And the result of that is rest and life. And I thought, there's the contrast. The world wants to entice us with lies to destroy us. Jesus tells us the truth and he wants to draw us in in order to bless us. It's like that song we were singing today, Honey in the Rock. That all that we need, it's, isn't it such an incredible thing in your life when you come to the realization that all I need All I'm really looking for, it's found in Jesus. In Jesus, I'm going to find peace and satisfaction and joy that nothing else in this world can give us. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now, if that alarm is going off in, in, in your heart and mind right now that maybe you are in a place of sin and compromise, can I encourage you today, respond. Don't ignore it anymore respond to the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from the carousing and drunkenness and worries of life or that that day will come on you unexpectedly. Notice that. Our mind and heart being dulled by sin and compromise carousing drunkenness but also i want you to note he mentions the notice the last thing the worries of this life and that's the fourth way that people can be asleep in the light is when they are full of other things it's easy to become spiritually asleep when our hearts and minds are consumed by other things Just wrapped up in the cares and worries of life. Remember Jesus told the parable of the sowers. And in the parable of the the sower, he talked about a farmer going out and sowing seed and the seed represented the word of God and the seed would get implanted on four different hearts or four different soils. And one of those soils was the seed that was sown amongst the thorns. And Jesus said, The seed sown amongst the thorns, it it doesn't, it's not able to, it gets choked out by the thorns and it's not able to bear fruit. And then he defined what that was. He said, Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. Entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. That's what happens to so many today. We are living in an age of overstimulation. Studies have been done that talk about that when our brains are fed from too many directions, it causes stress and fatigue and even depression. And it's possible to fall asleep spiritually or be spiritually dull because we're just too full of other things, too wrapped up in other things, so so concerned with other things. That's why our week of prayer and fasting that's coming up a week from tomorrow is so incredibly important. Because it is a week where we are seeking as a church family and as individuals to remove things that distract us. To heighten our spiritual antenna by fasting from food so that we can press in closer to Jesus. It's a way of removing and distracting ourselves from things like tech that can distract us or entertainment that can distract us so that we can recalibrate our hearts toward jesus so that we can reignite our spiritual antennas toward the lord and i encourage you we're going to be meeting three times a day for one hour each time 7 in the morning, noon, 6:30 in the evening for an hour each time to just press in together and seek the Lord. I really encourage you to join us for all or as much of you can of that time together. It's such a powerful week. But let me wrap up this in this way this morning. In Romans chapter 13 verse 11, Paul the apostle said this. Besides this, since you know the time, that it's already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Notice how he starts. He says there, since you know the time, It's the hour. It's time to wake up. You know, the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger used to sing back in 1964, Time is on our side. Well, 60 years later, I don't know if they would be singing that anymore. The message of the Bible is that time is ticking away. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Time is ticking away. It's time to wake up, friends. We look at what's happening in Israel today, what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in Russia, the craziness going on in our own country. These are all signs that we're getting close to the coming of Jesus. It's time to wake up. It's time to be awake. It's not a time to be sleeping. Again, Paul said in Ephesians 5, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Awake, he says. Arise. That word arise means to rise up from a lying or reclined position. And to stand up or to stand again. I think Jesus is maybe calling some of you today to stand, to arise, to wake up.